Hello and welcome to episode two of the Emerald Gamecast. My name is Nolan. I'm Alex. And unfortunately today we don't have our co-host Andrea. She is sick. She's in bed getting cozy, wrapped up. Uh, got a bad cough. So just me and Alex today. And don't think of it like we're one down. Think of it like a nice fireside chat, you know, just yeah, two buds. Yeah. It's you in the armchair by the fire. Me and Alex will bring you some cups of cocoa. Just hanging out. You got to get them yourself, though, because we're we're in your phone or computer or wherever. Yeah, you got to get them yourself, but it's OK. We we can, you know, we'll, we'll, chat. we'll sit with you. Have a we'll good speak time. up a little bit so you can hear us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You're really far away. We need to hear your input. Yes. Too. Yeah. So like we mentioned, uh, Andrea is at home resting up. She's very sick. But unlike Andrea, the news never rests. The new <laughs> journalism so never sleeps, it my friends. No, so we have very important journalistic topics to talk about, like video <laughs> games. <laughs> like, for example, uh, should we go into releases? Yeah. Let's, we have let's some talk really it. important video games. Some objectionable uh, video games. Oh, boy. That was good. Thank that you. That was good. Yeah. Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney Trilogy for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, so, so full disclosure, these games came out in 2009. Is that right? I'm not 100% sure on the year of the originals. Okay. But this is a, uh, a re-release of the original three Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney games in which you play as an up-and-coming lawyer, as, as the name implies. It's kind of a virtual no- or a visual novel, I suppose. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's, it's, have you played the originals? Yeah, actually, I, I actually bought this this uh, game for my Switch and have been playing it over oh, the last few days. Oh, tell me yeah. what you think of it. I've only played the DS version, so my uh, impressions are a bit outdated. What do you think? Well, I've, I was just going to say that I have never played this game before, and this mm-hmm. is a game that a lot of people I know have been really, really passionate about, big fans of, and I see why. It is, it is <laughs> so much, every character is so endearing. N- nothing makes you feel smarter than when you finally get that aha moment in a case. And the other lawyer just like crumples back in defeat because you found the flaw in his plan. It's super satisfying. Um, so it, hold, it holds up. Oh, right? it absolutely holds it, up. Yeah, do, yeah. Do, do you feel like um, visual novels are often the center of the debate about like what is a game? And I know Phoenix mm-hmm. Wright has some more gamey elements, but do you, do, you, do you feel that it flows well even when you're just reading the dialogue boxes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I really like how everything's set up into very distinct chapters. It almost makes it feel like some sort of serialized TV show or something. So you'll have a different case for each chapter. Most of the time, they're completely unrelated. So, and you got all kinds of crazy stuff. Like a, I, I'm trying to remember the one of the uh, partners is like a spirit ghost. Yes, your your partner is a uh, oh, what's what's the term? A spirit medium. And eventually, you start um, like defending. But she's really bad at it. So when you're like, wait, why can't we just bring the victim who we're representing back from the dead to talk about it? She's like, I can't do that. I'm sorry, because <laughs> of course that's too easy. But yeah, Phoenix Wright is is a lot of fun. It is actually fairly good writing for what it is. I mean, there's a, there's a fair amount of, of hoke and cheese to it. Like, I think the first, the witness, the first witness you called to the stand is, uh, uh, what's his name? Mike Sawhit? Like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of those games that we could we could humbly call anime as hell, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, it's 100% absolutely. anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you um, seen, but it has like you, a weird Americanized like court system, too. I don't know that I think it does, though, because the court system in Phoenix Wright is guilty until proven innocent isn't it i suppose yeah they also have this weird this weird moment where like oh thanks to the incident four years ago which we don't hear about um cases aren't allowed to last longer than three days oh my god so you get uh to interview all of your uh witnesses and then you get to go collect evidence and then it's trial time yeah so i i'm i'm no expert but um my limited knowledge of the japanese legal system is uh part of it is that in japan Usually when you're charged with a crime, there is a really high conviction rate, like in the upper 90s, because typically um, cases often don't make it to court unless it's kind of a sure shot. Interesting. I don't know if this is a reach or if Phoenix Wright is a little bit too anime as hell to be doing this. But when I first played it, thought that it may have been the light criticism of that, like all of these people are guilty unless this amazing defense lawyer can pull them out. But, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's not like it's some, like, deep social commentary. It's just a cool, it's a guy with cool hair well, yeah, yelling, yelling, I mean, yelling I, objection. You know, you might have a point because the Phoenix's whole thing is that he's, he's up and coming. He is an assistant to a famous lawyer. Yeah, and he's kind of like, um, he, he's like outside the system, right? Mm-hmm, it's a, it's mm-hmm. like an established group of old hat lawyers yep, yep. and he's come in and they're all this, like, this, this, this dumb kid. This fresh new kid on the block about to show the, the lawyer in world what's up. Oh, yeah. man. Um, but it's it's a lot of charm. Um, I would say now is the best one of the best times to play it because you have it 
Well, it's been out on uh, iOS and Android for a while, so you can play it on your phone if you really want to. Yeah, it's good on the phone, too. Is it? Yeah, um, that's that's where I first <laughs> I played it on an emulator. I No, you know what? It wasn't an emulator. It was um, back in my... In my crime years, early high school, when I didn't have a credit card, so I, d- I got like a like a pirated APK or something. You're gonna admit that on on air? Where, that's evidence that can be used against you in court. What are you Nolan. gonna do, Nintendo? Arrest me? I have a good lawyer. His name is Alex uh, McKnight. Objection! He's been trained objection! By... <laughs> Capcom published this game. It's on the Switch. It's yeah. On the okay. Switch. Sorry. Yeah. That's um, that's. I have to put away my gamer cred card now. Forgetting that one yep, wrong. Yep. You fool. Let's um, talk about the next game out of Japan because everything coming out this week is out of Japan. This yeah, is like yeah. we're in the golden era. Um, if you're, especially if you're a big fan of the Earth Defense Force games, EDF games, or if you don't know what the Earth Defense Force games, apparently this is the best time to get involved um, because this is supposed to be the most Western oriented in the series. Earth Defense Force Iron Rain. Yeah, what a good the title. PS4. What a, and I mean that sarcastically. Like Iron, it sounds like. Um, this is like the video game equivalent of like the 1998 Godzilla movie. No, well, I, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think there is no game series that is closer to that of a B movie than Earth Defense Force Iron Rain. Not just in tone, because the tone of every game is there are alien bugs attacking the Earth and you need to shoot them. But in the budget, it is very cheaply made and it shows they take what counts and things that don't matter as much get pushed to the side. Okay, um, full disclosure though, have you been able to play this game yet? Not this game. Okay. Not this game. I've played them in the in the past, but this Oh you have. You yeah. played an EDF game before. Yes, yeah, yeah. I have not. I played through a bunch of uh yeah, and it's it feels very weird and clunky, but there's just so much charm and they really care about what they're doing. Hmm. Um it that that adds to it a lot. Um If anyone doesn't know this is I mean, you said it's like a B movie, but like what EDF actually is is um you you play as little ground marines fighting giant space aliens it's all about scale it's about um spectacle like you'll be running through cities where these massive ants are smashing through buildings See, well and... okay you say that but the spectacle isn't that much to look at to be honest well it's really they've been really low budget in the past from what i've heard i they've, haven't played yeah. one but i think i think that's a character trait uh-huh. for them to be a low budget you know mm-hmm. um but edf is in the past edf has been a lot of fun i have heard mixed things about this one um, and a lot of people are criticizing that they're trying to appeal to a Western audience because a lot of the people like the sort of hokey uh, Japanese kaiju aspect of it. Yeah, and I'm 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 very curious to play it. I'm, this is going to be one of those ones that I grab, I think, out of the bargain bin in a few months. Oh, that won't take um, long. It's an EDF game. I know, but I, what I want to know is if this is supposed to be the Westernized uh, version of EDF, and and um, for for clarity, it's actually still made in Japan by oh, a yeah, developer yeah. called Yukes, I believe. Uh, and maybe I couldn't tell you for it sure. Is um. Like the, it's one of the few EDF games that is not made by the mainline team, but they're trying to do sort of like an emulation of what mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mainline games do. But in all the mainline games, I can slap an anime girl on my tank, and That's I want to know if I can do that in this one. If it's supposed to be westernized, if they get rid of the anime girl stickers, I don't know if I'm there for it. Anymore. Well, I think I think they're they're big. The the cover looks like just generic shooter, so I feel like you know holiday season comes around befuddled mom rolls into a GameStop and is like, is that the shooter game Billy wanted? Sure. This is cheap. It's like yeah, 15 cause, bucks. Because the title is like, it sounds like something you'd see in a parody movie. It's, it it's sounds like Space fake. Marine Alien yeah, War yeah. Game 5. Yeah, yeah. Super Colonial Marines Return 10. of the, the Ant Monsters. They're always bugs, by the way. They're always bugs. The bugs are a feature. Yeah. And, Japan, and the- again, with another release, though, with the Nintendo Toy-Con yes. VR that we talked about last week. It's finally out today. Or was it yesterday? Today, by the way, today is uh, uh, Friday. Yeah, um, by the time you're hearing, it'll it'll have been out um, for the course of the whole mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, people may have already moved on and recycled the cardboard. We who knows? But today is Friday, April twelfth. This is the first time that this has come out, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but mainly just the applications in already existing games. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the actual Labo side of it, which is the um, the constructed toy con there's some weird stuff in this there's the elephant game mm-hmm. um i don't think that one's out yet actually i think this one is literally just the google cardboard equivalent okay so um, then when do we get the elephant trunk and the uh the camera because the camera is the one that i'm most interested in have you heard about that one i have and i saw some footage of it and it doesn't look that and that's how oh, i feel about really? a lot of it is that well there's one interesting aspect we'll get to in a sec mm-hmm. but it's all very gimmicky um it's mm-hmm. all very like oh look at this you're in the virtual reality just like we said last time, but even now with these it's custom Nintendo. Games, yeah, yeah. Even with a lot of these custom game modes, like uh, there's one where you have like a blaster, I think. So you're like shooting in AR. Um, 
what else? There's the the uh, camera game that Nolan mentioned where you have a, a giant cardboard camera. You have to click the top and zoom in and out by turning this little cardboard thing that you constructed yourself. Which sounds awesome because because that's that's the framework to make like a um like a, like a VR Pokemon Snap equivalent where you can do sort of like a virtual scavenger no, hunt with that. a camera. Yeah, that's just gonna make me sad. I know they're not gonna do it, but I'm not even talking about putting Pokemon in. I'm just saying that game framework could uh, attach or not. What am I saying? Attach. Where did that word even come from? It could scratch the same itch as a Pokemon Snap. You know. Mm. Except it doesn't, because you're just taking pictures of fish. I know. That's why I'm saying I, I wish it could. Like right, it's such a yeah. great place for it. And I what I'm always worried about with Nintendo is them making these great opportunities and doing nothing with them, like their online system, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. their their app, like uh, their lack of virtual console on the Switch. There's a lot of things that Nintendo could easily implement that they don't because they're Nintendo. With with Labo VR in particular, there's nothing more damning to me than the fact that they didn't have a special... Nintendo is really known well known for their directs, which are like these little theatrical uh, advertisements, basically. Mm. Um, when this was announced, I want to say like in this winter, I think it was, they just threw mm, it I on think their it was, it was more recently than that. It was, was it? it was like... We could have to fact check this, but I think it was like maybe less a month ago at max. Yeah, but regardless of when it came out, they just announced it on their Twitter, and that was it. They're just like, this really cool thing is coming. So that made me think it's not that cool after all. It was really weird because Nintendo typically, um, they'll give direct space even to just an indie lineup. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not giving a first-party Labo extension a direct to me, it did feel like a vote of no confidence. That's what I was going to say. It feels like they didn't think that this was going to succeed. Um, Which I'm curious if it will. I mean, we're on day one. Nintendo is is is. Uh, but I mean, if you were to talk to if you were to talk to somebody who doesn't follow video games as well and says and say like, hey, the Nintendo Switch has VR, that'd be really exciting for a lot of people. I think. Yeah, but I also think it might lead to disappointment, though. And I, I Nintendo is Switch is not, in my opinion, I haven't played it. Who knows? It could it could blow my mind but i just don't feel like the switch is suited to vr Mm -hmm. um in terms of its power as a console and in terms of the like play space for it it just seems like it's a very limited platform for that kind Mm -hmm. of play um i'm glad to see nintendo taking risks but vr right now needs to move forward in both fidelity and affordability oh yeah and they're going for affordability at the complete sacrifice of fidelity which is going to limit what they can do with but it but that's a good start most people probably just picked up a google cardboard for five bucks to their local and best it's buy it's a right? good start but if you look at the kind of games or experiences that are available on something like google cardboard or something like even samsung gear vr um which phones are first of all can go up to 4k if you have a powerful enough sure, system sure um and even low-end phones are are typically at least 1080p, which are, is already um, an advantage mm-hmm. over the Switch. Uh, if you look at what's available on those mobile platforms, none of those experiences are particularly engaging for any long period of time. They're almost all um, gimmick level. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know, unless Nintendo has some magic up their sleeve, what they can do to really capture this market beyond what Labo did, which is show up and be really fun to build and then end up in people's <laughs> recycling Sure, bins, yeah. Um, but unfortunately. In, in the thing that I alluded to earlier in terms of it being really fun to build, one thing that they haven't advertised at all, and I'm shocked about because this seems really cool, um, there's a custom game mode. Whoa, I see, I didn't even know about that. Yes, exactly. So the idea is you can build your own levels and play them in VR. You get a bunch of basic polygons and place them around a uh, 3D space. And do whatever you want with them. Whoa! I saw people make a, a pinball machine. There was one where it was like a it was like a little rat maze type thing. Damn. Um, and apparently, there's a lot of options with this. Um, so that seems really interesting. I'm very curious. I, I to be honest, I don't trust it because they haven't advertised it very well. So I wonder what the catch is. Um, uh, yeah. Well, it, you know, the rumor was there was supposed to be a Nintendo Direct yesterday. Well, that was a yeah. That, that didn't a rumor. happen. I know, but I'm just saying it would have been a good time, Nintendo. That's true. That's Day true. before release. I mean, you we guys... should be getting a direct sometime within the month uh, because they promised us uh, Joker from Persona 4 information for Smash Bros. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Yeah, we'll definitely oh, have. Man. We'll definitely have to talk about that. When I've that I've been out. a little off the wagon with Smash Ultimate lately, but when you drop 
you know, my guy Joker in there. And mm. for, for clarity, we're not talking about the Batman guy. No, we're this talking is from, about the anime. This Joker. is from cult classic turned international success Persona Five. Oh yeah. Um Cult Cult Classic? I yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Uh yeah. Oh it's it's absolutely a cult classic. Are you yeah. kidding me? Um, Let's talk about a sad news story. As we move into news, which is it, spe- speaking of presentations we won't get to talk about on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. This is this is fun. Um You guys might remember way back when at E3 um, that EA took a microphone and put it into a, a producer's <laughs> face in the audience who nobody knew. I mean, I'm sure he's known within the industry, but to the audience, me and Alex watching, it just looked like some guy sitting it's, in the front and, row. And yeah, and they were like, what's going on at Respawn? And, and he's like, we're making a Star Wars game. And they didn't have a title. So they I hope they find Star Peace one day. <laughs> they didn't have a, 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 a picture or anything. But now... Now it's real. Um, tomorrow, April 13th at 1.30 Central Time, uh, EA is holding a event at Star Wars Celebration. They're going to be showing off, finally, footage of this mystical Star Wars mm-hmm. game. So when, when you're listening to this, you'll have already – when you're listening to this, you'll have already seen it. And been, It'll be out for a couple days. Yeah, by then. yeah. yeah. Um, but it's called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It's being made by Respawn and helmed by, I believe, the previous head of uh, – or previous director of God of War? Oh, I don't know about that. I remember hearing that. Um, Anyways, keep going, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's going to be entirely single-player focused, which is unprecedented and surprising, uh, especially coming from EA. And also, which is... And and moreover, coming from Respawn, which is a developer who previously has made multiplayer-only games. Yes, these are the guys behind Titanfall and the recent hit Apex Legends. Um, And, and And I think making a Star Wars game that is single player only and focuses on lightsaber battles and being a Jedi is the one direction that that series needs to move. Oh, not yeah. Series, yeah, franchise needs to move in. And I am torn because I really like Respawn's games. Um, I have not played Titanfall 2, which is the one time that they exercised their ability to create a single player campaign. I heard it was good. I also heard that. I'm a little I, curious I if they'll it. be able to pull it off again. Well, this is why I, I took note of that I, it was the and maybe I'm completely in the wrong here, but a former director of God of War is because the idea of it being an action game helmed by someone who understands action games seems exciting. Um, well, you might be right. I'm looking at the article right now. It says this is almost certainly going to be a third person action game. Stig Osmundson, previously previously of the God of War series. Yep, yep. So they're de- they definitely have someone working on the game um, from the God of War series. I don't know for sure what Stig Osmussen's role was on the previous God of War games, um, but I have someone that I'm more excited about working on this game in terms of pedigree, which is Chris Avalone. Oh, that's I forgot about so that. So Chris Avalone um, was, he, he worked on Knights of the Old Republic 2. Um, another, another cult classic uh, Star Wars RPG. Um, yeah, if you don't know him, I think Chris Avalone's... Um, uh, he was with Bioware for a while. Is that right? No, he was with Obsidian and okay, Black Isle. Okay. Um, his his legacy in the industry is um, single-player, story-driven RPGs. He's one of the best world-building and Incredibly character writers well-crafted stories. in the business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he also, in a weird one, he's working on um, Dying Light 2. Yeah, as well. that's right. It's I really forgot about that. So that gives me um, a lot of... A lot of uh, hope and for for this game in terms of like storytelling i think chris avalone is is probably the most capable hands to put this in mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, um I, and, and, and 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 i really want to see someone make a star wars story that doesn't ride so closely on the coattails of the current franchise canon and, yeah, I, and I think yeah. that respawn is well equipped to do that it may be in the same vein that 1313 would have struck if that game wasn't canceled and Which, reworked yeah, by the way, into Star a Wars, multiplayer yeah, yeah. only something. Who even knows what that is? Uh, Star Wars thirteen thirteen was a uh, Boba Fett uh, played as Boba Fett, and it was like a single player adventure. And this was you got it got canceled. Basically, it's a Star Wars game. Was it specifically Boba Fett? It I was thought Boba it was Fett. just someone going into the hole on. No, it was Scott. Boba Fett. Okay, it was like Boba Fett before I became Boba Fett. Oh my like god! Boba. You should go watch the Star Wars thirteen thirteen gameplay reveal and then get really sad because um, it's never coming out. The the woman uh, who. Amy Hennig, who worked on the Uncharted series, Uncharted, uh, she did sort sort of gameplay direction for mm-hmm. those. She was going to be part of that game's production. That makes sense. Oh my it god, shows. a Star Wars style Uncharted style adventure. Ah, uh, it's just 
it's kind of, it would have been the perfect game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am really, you know. I think one of press the most, F for Star Wars thirteen thirteen. Yeah, yeah. F F to pay respects. F F F. One of the most interesting things about this, though, I think, especially after the news from Bioware, we touched on this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jason Schreier himself actually came out and confirmed they are not using the apparently horrible Frostbite engine. Yeah, which is strange to me because this game's been in development for a while. So I'm curious so why they would have, have chosen they... the Unreal Engine. Yeah, how long have they known about the Frostbite issues? Was this something well, this that... May, I mean, there's no way to know if that this choice was based off of the issues sure. in Frostbite. There there could be any number of, of reasons why EA would elect to use Unreal. And Unreal is a very, you know, it's a very well-trodden, tried-and-true engine. So I can, I can understand there being a reason why they would have picked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to know what it is regardless. No, uh, absolutely. Um, and it does make me a little bit more confident in the term in terms of like how well this game is going to be put together. Oh, yeah, I think we need a we need a good Star Wars game because we've had far too many flops with oh, uh, man. the Battlefront series and a lot of people are regretting that EA has the exclusive license to make anything Star Wars related. Yeah, so this is going to come on the heels of EA letting Respawn go wild with Apex Legends. So this is we're kind of in a weird moment where. EA has been getting a little bit of good rep because of taking their hands slightly off of Respawn for a game um, that succeeded in Apex Legends. And considering this is once again Respawn and EA, I am worried about the EA influence. I'm not as worried as I would have been like six months ago, Mm -hmm. especially considering that they Respawn now has some leverage. They can go to EA and say, look, Apex Legend succeeded for us. You know, let us try our thing again. And we won't let you down mm-hmm. as opposed to like Bioware, which EA will probably never give those budgets to <laughs> ever, ever again. again. Maybe Jinx. Dragon Age 4, but even then, I, no. who knows no, what Dragon that Age game. 4 is probably never coming out. Jason Schreier, get on that. Yeah. Dragon Age 4, yeah. I want to read your article. Um, but yeah, so Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, it should be out by the time you're listening to it. Uh, hopefully you enjoy our speculation. Maybe we'll be right. Who knows? Who knows? It'd be fun to listen to this afterwards and like we're just totally wrong. Who yeah, knows? yeah. It, Hideo Kojima walks out on stage and he's like, I'm back. And he's the director of this game. It's going to be wild. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Crazy. Um, Forbes called Elder Scrolls Blades, a game that is out. You can play it right now. Uh, is it? Is that confirmed? There's an early access thing. Oh, okay, it, it, okay, is okay, not, right. it is not available for everyone. I believe if you have a Bethesda.net account, you can use it to access some in progress form of this game and it has been successful they have already made five hundred thousand dollars in like less than a week wow. of release um which is you know small potatoes for a company like bethesda but for a niche game yeah um, like well it's not niche it is niche as of now because it is not open to wide release mm-hmm. but i don't know do you have a bethesda account i have a Bethesda account i yeah. probably do i don't know <laughs> if i know the password to it i'm yeah. sure it's out there i probably have an account to most of these ubisoft you play it bethesda doesn't matter. there's so many of them it's hard to keep track um, of but what what about this uh this elder scrolls blades this uh mobile game set in the skyrim universe basically okay so for <laughs> forbes released a article called quote Elder Scrolls Blades is a glimpse into the potential dystopian future of AAA games. God, that's dramatic. It's very dramatic. That's so extra. Um, but the journalist here, his name is Paul. Uh, I don't. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. It's either Tossy or Tassie. Probably Tossy. He he makes the case um, about Elder Scrolls Blades being this dystopian nightmare based off of its monetization model, which has to do with the way that the game doles out loot to players. So there's this chest system where um, just like any RPG, as you play, you find more powerful loot and whatnot. But what this game does is it puts time gates on opening boxes. So if you find a low-level chest, it might take three hours to open. Um, A silver chest might take six. I think silver chest actually was six um, or three. I'm confused about the numbers but look it up you, you'll see for yourself <laughs> and what the game ends up doing is you have so many chests in your inventory and you cannot dispose of chests that you have picked up without opening them but you can pay money to instantly open them so the problem arises when you have really rare chests like gold chests or above that only drop at like a five percent rate and you maybe have like 200 hours worth of silver chests that have filled up your entire inventory. If you find a gold chest while you're exploring a dungeon, you can either pay to expand your inventory space, get rid of the gold chest forever, 
or pay to instantly open it because you can't put it in your inventory if your inventory is full. So a lot of players are going to be like, this is my only chance to get the rare loot that I've spent hours looking for mm-hmm. and pay a little bit of money to Bethesda. Even if it's only five bucks. That adds up. You've been done. You've been done. God. Yeah. So it's, it's a very predatory, uh, so we, we touched on this a little bit with the, with the Prince Harry Fortnite story, but, you know, games are taking a much more predatory approach on, on monetization, and I think this exemplifies that. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing in this article that he says is that your story progress in the game is gated behind the level of your town, and, of course, upgrading your town is also behind uh, time gates. So he um, talks about an instance in the article where he is stuck because the houses that he needs to build take like 12 plus hours to build and he can't go back in the dungeon. There's no missions available to go back to, you know, a lot of crap where Bethesda is basically saying like, hey, you don't got to give us money, but if you give us money, you can right, keep playing yeah. the game. And it's not as though these sorts of tactics are unprecedented. But it, I believe this journalist is making the case this may be one of the most egregious examples yeah. of this to date i i think this game is really interesting too because it's it's riding off the coattails of not really a revival it's always been there but people really love skyrim like still people are oh, yeah. still buying new copies of skyrim um and this game uses a bunch of assets from skyrim it kind of changes the skyrim logo a little bit um i feel like if you were to tell maybe just pick a person off the street there wouldn't be a super high chance that they would and that's not a bad thing i'm not trying to like gatekeep or anything but they might not know that this is part of a larger game series, you know? <laughs> so advertising it as, like, a Skyrim follow-up or, like, Skyrim for phones. Yeah, uh, and, and, and they're thought. absolutely playing this. Um, the, the marketing of this game is absolutely uh, playing into, like, if you're a Bethesda fan, this is for you. Yeah, Bethesda has a lot of, uh, like, power and precedence in the fact that they um, kind of they make games that a lot of people really, really like. Yeah, and but they're good at marketing them, and they have the money. Like... We talked about this. Uh, PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo in Seattle, they have an entire convention hall. Bethesda decided to go do their own thing. They just bought out the Hard Rock for a day. I know. I love that. And and Bethesda did have a conference at E3 the past couple of years. But the idea that they didn't have a booth on the PAX main floor is really funny to me. Yeah, they don't need it. The people that were lined up to go see Bethesda's games, it was around the block. We were there in one portion of the line. We were there for maybe two to three hours yeah, yeah. waiting in line. And they had a full um, mascot costumed Volt Boy going up and down the line. And people were losing their damn minds mm. at this guy. Um, keep, by the way, this was before Fallout 76 came out. <laughs> Things are a bit different now. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bethesda may have lost some good faith in the community. I think that if they were to come out on stage and be like, hey, Elder Scrolls 6, that people would kind of just forget. Um, for at least a few minutes, and they have a really—they're really good at <laughs> doing that. Um, in terms they of are. just like yeah, Todd yeah. Howard is just such a charming man that he could come on the stage and be like, "Hey guys, so Fallout seventy six kind of sucked ass," and I'd be like, "Yes, Todd, please tell me what's yes, next Todd. right now." Like I, we love you, Todd. I love you, Todd. I'll forgive you for all your sins. Tell me your tell me your silver tongue lies, Todd. <laughs> if Todd Howard, Todd, if you want to be on the podcast, my guy, Todd, please email you're, Nolan you're Good in. at. Uh, dailyemerald.com and go to Daily Emerald. Yeah, yeah, come on go. man get on that in other news you can finally change your PSN ID kind of a, a little bit a little of. bit so this is a weird remnant of the PS3 era so your PlayStation Network ID is your basically your your name that you use for anything online on PlayStation for context this is not like a it, this is the kind of story that sounds innocuous because being able to change your username on PlayStation sounds just like kind of a small update. But people have been um, a- angrily asking to do this for like the better part of a decade. No, yeah. The fact that it's so tied up in the, the asinine architecture of the PS3 made it pretty much impossible to be able to change your username. Yeah, so on the Xbox 360, you could change your username if you paid like 800 Microsoft mm, points, like which was about ten, was about $10. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and PlayStation didn't do that, and I think at that time they just assumed they would never have to. Yeah. So they actually wrote uh, a lot of their code and architecture to rely on your username in order to function. So you can change your name, but 
now after after what like 12 years maybe yeah it's something ridiculous but like should we should we read the list of things there there's a there's a there's a frequently asked questions page on the on the ps blog that i i think is hysterical yes yes please tell me the perks of changing your playstation id nolan (laughs) clearly someone at the office is like shuhei yoshida my guy greg miller has been coming on his podcast every goddamn friday and devoting a whole segment to telling us to make this feature happen and people are like literally in the streets throwing tomatoes at the windows and crap we Mm got to do this right now and they're like no we didn't finish creating the feature but they just rolled it out anyways yeah they literally could not do this (laughs) it's not possible and the fans are like no make it happen happen." so they made it i deserve this because i'm a hashtag gamer so playstation blog frequently asked questions what kind of issues could i potentially run into tell me below are some of the issues you may encounter we expect major issues to occur only in a small number of games by the way they say that but earlier up in the FAQ, they say that if the game came out before April 1st, 2018, we can't promise it'll work. So that's literally most it's games. The ma- it's the grand majority of video games. There's a very small number of games that did not yeah. come out. Anyways, here's a list of perks. Perks. Yeah. Problems. My bad. One, your previous online may remain visible to you and other players in some areas. Not that bad. You may lose progress within games, including save data, leaderboard data, and progress towards trophies. Part of your game and applications may not function properly, both online and offline. <laughs> you may lose access to content, including paid-for content that you may have acquired, including content like add-ons and virtual currency. So literally, you, you should lose never money. do this. You should never do this. He's like just got like a bottle of brand, or no, it's not brandy. It's got to be some like sake, sake rice wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in there like just slamming it down, and he's like, "Please, just, just make them stop screaming, Greg Miller. I'm done listening to you." <laughs> They go into the, like their weird jumble of wires that is like the the online architecture, and are like, well, let's just like move some things around. I guess maybe it'll work. I don't know. Actually, the entire story of the PS3 architecture is just really funny to me. Like, I remember Gabe Newell coming out around the release of the PS3 and basically saying, "Why did they make this this way? Nobody can develop yeah. games for this. It Nobody tur- was tur- able to port games. It, it turned out to be fine. Um, I mean, over time, people got better at it, but there was a lot of hiccups. Like when Skyrim first came out on PS3, it constantly crashed um there was things like the bayonetta port that was just like almost unplayable mm. um lots of problems with early ps3 and there was the stuff with red dead redemption also where like porting it was particularly difficult so sony was doing some weird stuff in the seventh gen i don't know what was going mm-hmm. on over there mm-hmm. but that being said you can now change your id with if only you a few really really want to potential problems um there was also stuff that i heard um about just like not being able to play certain online games at oh, all. Yeah, like, yeah. Even if you don't lose progress, it's well, just it's like p- certain games are like, wait, but our code says that your name is this, but your console says that it's this. Sorry. It's all tied into the name, which is which is weird and asinine, and I'm not sure why that's the case. Yeah, it's weird, but who knows? I'm not a programmer. I don't know what Sony's doing. Our uh, resident programmer is out <laughs> sick today. So. Maybe maybe Sony also doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, their resident programmer has been out sick for years. Yeah, they're, they're one resident programmer. <laughs> it was back when like the 2013 outage happened. He was like, I'm out. I'm, I can't do this I'm anymore. <laughs> Another Quinn. thing for context. Was it 2013? What year uh, was it? I, uh, 2012, 2013. There was a big security breach. Basically. So Yeah, there's a huge security breach, and PlayStation Network went down for like 20-some days, and... Uh, and then it came back on, and Sony gave everyone a few free games, um, which was pretty nice. Yeah. The point is, not not the first time Sony has experienced some weird malfunction within their code because they wrote it without some foresight, you know. And, of course, these are corporations dealing with incredibly complex, you know, systems. So, yeah, can't really blame them. Sure, sure. But I do think this Frequently Asked Questions page is, is hysterical, and I just think everyone needed to hear it. All right, so last week I asked towards the end of the podcast for people to send in emails. What email was that, Nolan? If you do have a question you want us to talk about in episode three, you can send us an email at ngood at dailyemerald.com, and we'll... That's ngood at dailyemerald.com, is that correct? Yeah, that's ngood at dailyemerald.com, yes. Okay. And we did get one from Frankie Redfern. Oh, hi, Frankie. Maybe if you... I don't know if we can ask him if he wants the last name on, and we can cut it Just or say not, Frankie. But Just say Frankie. Frankie. All right. Frankie says, sup with it. I'm curious <laughs> to hear all your takes on VR. 
When I was first introduced into the gaming sphere, many people discounted it as a gimmick. It was often compared to things like the motion controls of the Wii and the motion sensors of both the 360 and the PlayStation 3. But since then, it's continued to expand into homes with devices like the Rift, Vive, and the PSVR. In Sony's most recent presentation, PlayStation State of Play, the majority of the time was spent showing off VR games and games that supported VR elements. This spring, Oculus is slated to release the Oculus Quest, a VR headset that will not require any tethering to a PC whatsoever, which will retail at $400. That's kind of steep still, in my opinion. But without a PC, that's... Yeah, yeah. Um, it's of my opinion that VR will continue to get better and more accessible as time goes on, and that is it is an important part of the games industry because of the potential creativity and innovation from developers. My question is this, is VR the future of gaming, or is it really just an expensive fad that will be almost non-existent in five to ten years? Or maybe somewhere in between. Thanks. I uh, think the most important, or the most interesting thing about that is that my thoughts were the exact opposite. When VR first became like a big thing, I think people were expecting it to become the next wave of video games, right? They thought it was going to completely dominate. And now I think a lot of people have decided that it is too expensive and gimmicky and not really what they wanted. Well, but I think, like, where do you see VR landing in like a couple decades in terms of its space in the games industry as will it be adjacent to console and PC play or will it be the new dominant form? What do you what do you I, expect? I mean I think it's gonna end up a little bit like the Wii, where like it, it did some really cool stuff and it has a following, but it's definitely not gonna take over the industry. I don't think that's gonna be the new standard. Yeah. I, I gotta I'm not gonna hard disagree with you, but I do slightly disagree. Okay, all right. Um I think that as VR becomes more and more accessible as Frankie alluded to, which I believe will be the main thrust, I think everyone's going to be in this arms race to make VR something they can get to a consumer that would be in the market for say like an Xbox. Like easy, no frills setup, um, self-contained and affordable. Those are going to be like the pillars that you need. And once those are attained, I actually do think that VR will become relatively integral to the gaming scene. I don't think that it will ever replace traditional gaming, but I do think it's going to be something that exists alongside games like for the foreseeable future because there's just a whole new set of genres in there. Like the Wii was a fad because the Wii, I don't necessarily think that kind of motion control had the potential to open up this entire new play space that VR does have. Sure. When I, when I say the Wii, I don't necessarily mean that it's going to like flop or be outdated. Oh, and the Wii didn't flop either. Oh, no, no, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean more the idea that it's going to have its own little po- – VR will have its own little pocket and probably do just fine um, as opposed to more traditional like screens, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think VR is going to take over the industry. I, I think there's a future for it, but it's going to be a lot smaller. Will it be like the Virtual Boy, or will it be like Ready Player One? <laughs> These are your options. This is all you have. I would actually be really happy if we got a real life oasis, like real talk. Like I don't screw nature. I'm going in there forever. Oh, by the way, I almost forgot. Uh, I can't believe I forgot this. We're good to go back to Nintendo VR yeah. for just one second. There is a hidden mini game in the Labo ToyCon VR. It is Mario Tennis. Whoa! For the the, the Virtual Boy for version. The virtual. It's real. It's real. It's one game. It's it's not like multiplayer. It's a couple levels, but it's real. That's so why getting is, a Virtual Boy. Why game. isn't it the whole game? The game's got to be like one kilobyte yeah, big. It's like Nintendo. What, I don't. Know. Why did they do that? Maybe they may, maybe it's like a like a is it a ground up remake or is it a? I don't port? think it's a remake. I'm not sure. Okay. I just know that you can play it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got to go buy this thing now. Yeah. Now spend $80 on a bunch of uh, plastic and cardboard. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I, I want Labo to to um, to um get good, you know? Come mm-hmm. on, Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Make me some, like, uh, like, a Mario Kart game where I'm, like, driving from, you know, make me a VR Mario Kart Nintendo. Come on. And that's what that's what they're gonna do at uh, Universal Studios, I think. Ooh, you want to go to you want to go to Hollywood? Yeah, let's go to that Japanese like Nintendo theme park. Oh, that one too. Yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, you can play Donkey Konga. You can swing <laughs> on some vines. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Yeah. All right, Alex. Last week, I dropped the ball. I fumbled. You sure as hell did, Nolan. I made a game for everyone and I messed it up. You sure as hell did, Nolan. And maybe you unsubscribed. From you the sure feed. as I sure as hell did, <laughs> <Okay>. Nolan. <laughs> so now we've changed. The game a little bit. Alex is going to be our new resident game master here going forward. So he's actually made me a game this week instead, which 
I think Alex is just kind of better at a lot of things than me, so it should work out pretty I good. Sure as hell am, Nolan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you got for me? Uh, well, you ever heard of a of a charismatic figure by the name of uh, Hideo Kojima? Oh yeah. So for a little context for the audience, um, Hideo Kojima is a Japanese game developer. He is famous mostly for uh, Metal Gear Solid is his his big landmark game. Um, he Snatcher. Is, what? Snatcher. Or police knots. Police knots. Police knots. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he Zone is, of the Enders? He he is he many well he just produced Zone of the Enders, didn't he? No, he well, he directed it. Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well throw Zone of the Enders on there. I I put care. the MGS two demo on it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's like the only reason it sold. <laughs> it was great. People like Zone of the Enders. Yeah. They made it HD. anyways. Anyway, yeah, point is, um this many people believe that uh Hideo Kojima may be the closest thing that video games have to a true auteur. Um <laughs> and he treats it as an art form. Uh Sometimes. other people believe he is a megalomaniacal uh insane person or maybe somewhere in, in the middle yeah <laughs> um and i think a very an interesting recurring theme is during the development of a lot of hideo kojima's games he has outlandish ideas uh that never really come to fruition either because somebody's like no that's stupid we're not gonna let you do this or budget or what have you um so we're gonna play a little game called did kojima want this if you can imagine basically kojima's place right now is he's finally been cut free from the chains of well, overhead producers and that he is like maybe the most brilliant game developer but also he's maybe the industry's george lucas i was gonna reveal that at the end you ruined it how did i ruin it uh, no you didn't i'm just <laughs> i was just gonna say i'm gonna review i was gonna reveal it at the end that it's like well now after all this but it doesn't oh. matter we're good okay we i was just giving context <laughs> yeah um so uh the game is called did kojima want this <laughs> I'm going to say a situation okay. um, that at some point in the development of one of his games, uh, Kojima wanted, or alternately, I just made it up, um, and he didn't actually want this. I feel like this might be... So I'm going to read it off, and Nolan is going to guess whether or not Kojima wanted this. Viewers, feel free to play at home. Um, are you ready, Nolan? Yeah, but I'm a huge Kojima fanboy. What if I already know all the answers? <laughs> I, I tried my best to make it... You, you might get some. It starts okay. out a little easier, right. too. Um Guys, I'm, t- I'm taking a bet right now for the audience that Alex's first question is about um, Kojima putting a vampire in MGS2. No, Vamp doesn't show up at all. Oh, I knew. All right. I knew. Cause you see, I knew. I predicted oh. that you would know about oh, Vamp. He's one step ahead of me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hit me up. All right. So, the original plan for the or question one, hmm. or situation one, I suppose. <laughs> okay. The original plan for the boss battle with the experienced sniper, codenamed The End, in Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, was for it to take multiple real time weeks to complete before he was eventually talked down by Konami executives. Oh, man. Oh, you know what? This Can you imagine multiple weeks on one boss battle? This one's believable because in the current form of MGS3, if you save the game and don't play for two weeks and then come back, the end will die of old age, and you can skip the boss battle. So I kind of believe that this one could be true. But also in the same vein, it could be something you made up to sound true because you know that fact. What do you think and it is, Nolan? I'm going to say that this one is false. Kojima did want this. What? Yes, this was the original plan for it to take several weeks in real time in a like real-life sniper battle. Oh, Jesus. He to, like, is talk to your George friends. Lucas. Yeah, oh, yeah. no. All Kojima. Right. Next, next situation. Okay. In the original design document for Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, it was listed as being called Metal Gear Solid 3 in Roman numerals. <laughs> This is the second game in the series, by the way. It was listed as being called Metal Gear Solid 3 in order to symbolize the three tallest skyscrapers in Manhattan. What's number three? I don't know. Did he just want to screw with people? No, because it's, it's the three tallest skyscrapers in Manhattan. Did Kojima, Kojima want this? Okay, Metal Gear Solid 2 had to cut a scene towards the end in the fight with um, uh, the the snake with the octopus arms. I can't uh, Solidus? Solidus yeah. snake. They had to cut part of the scene of his battle because 9-11 occurred oh, that's before right. the game released and that involved a terrorist attack in Manhattan. Mm. Naming a game after skyscrapers in Manhattan in that time period. I could believe that if it was before 9-11 when he had the idea, which he probably did. But this this one this one also sounds false to me. But now you got you're in my mind. You're in my head here. I'm gonna say that this one is false again. Kojima did want this. What the heck? Yeah. Where are you getting all this info? I thought I knew. Oh, my I, God. I did my homework, Nolan. Dude, this is whack. This is why I'm the Game Master now. Game Master Alex. Um. Okay, yeah, so you're you're zero for two right oh now. Oh, my. I am a fake Kojima fan. Yeah. 
We're gonna gatekeep the hell out of you. I'm just gonna drop the ball at the end of every episode. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, so the ending of Metal Gear Solid One was heavily influenced by Kojima's first project at Konami a 1986 platformer for the family entertainment MSX console called Penguin Adventure. <laughs> what, what? In this game, the bad ending had the penguin princess dying from an incurable disease, no. while the good ending had her and the main character <laughs> no. run away across the ice flats together. There's no way I've never heard of this Did game. Did Kojima want There's this? There's no way I've never... If I haven't heard of this game and it's real, I'm just going to commit seppuku and you can do the show by yourself from now on. That I'm, I'm, You're making me sweat. I'm genuinely <laughs> concerned right now. I have never seen you like this. Oh, my God. I think that this one, I thought his first game was Snatcher or Police Knots. Well, okay. To be to be clear, this is the first game the he first was game involved at, with. Okay. So he, he didn't. Okay. Maybe there's something I haven't heard because I don't know about his history before being a director. Man. Okay. This is like one of those tests where you keep saying C and like you get some right. Like if I say <laughs> false again, I, I just might get it right just by virtue yeah. of. You know, it's up to you to decide. Did Kojima oh want this? Literally, the one like one of the few pieces of feedback we got in the last episode was someone saying I dropped the ball at the end. <laughs> I'm gonna be that guy, <laughs> but I'm gonna. You're the host. But I'm gonna say false. Don't you dare say Kojima. Say false. Di- I say false. Kojima wanted this. No, <laughs> this is a real game, um, and only That's the. Right. Okay. <laughs> Only the ending was influenced um, in, sen- in the sense that the good, the bad ending had the character die. Good ending had them run away across the ice together. How the fuck have I not heard of Kojima's Penguin Adventure? Because he was just an advisor on it. It was the first game he worked on How in his like early... He? I don't remember. Uh, he was young. He was young. This is, 19, oh this is 1986, so this is like well before Metal Gear for the MSX. Wow, this is crazy. Okay, all right. I'm ready for whatever you're going to throw All right, me next. Okay. I got to get, get one of these right. Come on. In mid-development of Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake oh, no. Eater, Ambition was planned to pay homage to the sequence in Metal Gear Solid 1 where a rat would take up or pick up a key item, leaving the player to hunt it down. <laughs> However, in the game, there was a chance that a boa constrictor would eat the rat, meaning the player had to kill and eat the boa constrictor in order to get the item, but to wait for the snake to be digested and to pass through their system. <laughs> Did Kojima want this? Absolutely. This is this completely fits into what MGS3 is about. But I feel like I'm just on not on, on a I'm getting everything wrong. So I'm gonna say true, but I'm not confident in that. Well, yeah, you still have time. But, well, do what you're confident in. But I'm say, okay. I'm more confident in true than I am in false. Kojima did not want this. I made that up. I uh, <laughs> that one that one's made up. Yeah, that one's not. I real. gotta go against every instinct in my body is wrong there was a mouse that took or a rat that took a key card in mgs1 but at no point in three was there any sort of snake you're good you're really pooping. good at this thank you this is um <laughs> I'm, I'm humiliated okay next question we, we touched on this before actually <laughs> another landmark kojima project was the japanese exclusive science fiction crime thriller police knots okay for the pc 9821 home console the game was criticized for its rampant sexist themes that seemed wildly out of place in game but many authors and critics believe this was the residual effect of the Japanese PC market being flooded with porn games at the time of its release. <laughs> and today. In which Kojima had hoped to disguise his game. Hmm. Did Kojima want this? Well, I do know that the PC visual novels of the time, even the ones that were not strictly pornographic, were very adult in nature and still had nudity. So this is pretty dang believable. And considering Kojima's kind of meta play where he creates expectations and then plays with them, I could totally be him like, I'm going to get the hint eyes and then give them a hard-boiled sci-fi story mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. like push his RF ray glasses. Yeah. Definitely not because head. he's a dirty old pervert or anything. No. Um, I just feel like whatever I'm going to say is going to be wrong. Well, you better come up with something fast. We're running out of time. I'm going to say... Pulse. Don't you dare Kojima say Kojima wanted did this. No, don't you dare. Kojima wanted this. He wanted to try to infiltrate the Japanese hentai market by putting nudity in his in his sci-fi adventure <sighs> game. All right, guys. I said I would commit seppuku if I got them wrong. You got two more. You got two oh, more. Oh, I have two more? You okay. got two more. All right. But right now, you are zero for whatever number we're on right now. That was like five. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is bad. Okay. 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 Next, qu- next question. Or next scenario. The GameCube remake of the first Metal Gear Solid game, dubbed The Twin Snakes, uh 
was developed by Studio Silicon Knights under the guidance of Kojima and Super Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto. This Japanese, the Japanese special version of the game came with a bonus disc, originally planned to have a secret non-canon bonus mission, in which Snake would be tasked with taking down a bright green monitor lizard with a red saddle on its back, oh with God. a call from Colonel Campbell stating that this was Yoshi. The idea was almost immediately shot down by Miyamoto. Did Kojima want this? Oh, no. There were Yoshis in the MGS3 3DS port. He got them in eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one sounds just fake enough to probably be true. Is that your final answer? Kojima did want this. Kojima didn't want this. I made it up. Okay, you got your last. I mean, you've already lost, so you got a lot. You got okay. one more left. You got one chance to redeem yourself here. I wonder if Andy would have gotten these right. I don't know. I don't know. I did have them with her in mind. Rest in peace, Andy. Audience, if um, you got these right, please email us and let us know. I, I need to feel my shame. <laughs> uh, okay, last question. In Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, the player character goes through a submersible mobile fortress with areas codenamed after the digestive tract, including <laughs> the stomach, parts of the colon, and finally, the rectum. Despite okay. critics claiming this to be a commentary on the quality and turnaround of the sequel, Kojima has publicly stated he had originally intended it to be a homage to Pinocchio, traversing the inside what? of Monstro the Whale. What? Did Kojima want that? Oh my god. What did you, did you like call, did you like, you have a source at Konami? Did you talk to an intern? I did my homework. Where did you find this stuff? On the internet. There's oh vast god. amounts of information, literally endless information. I gotta do some reading. This is whack. Okay. Um, all right. You know why I think this one is maybe false? Why? Because Metal Gear Solid Five had a recurring Moby Dick motif. And I feel like you pulled the whale out of that and adapted it into this. Do you now? I do. But because I never get anything right, <laughs> I'm going to say that Kojima did want not did did want. He did want this. He did so want So you're this. saying you are you are going against your proper judgment by My saying... My judgment has been wrong every time. You're going to say that Kojima did want this. It's been wrong every time. Is okay, that your fine, final fine. answer? You know what? I'll go with the proper judgment. No, no, no. no. You go with whatever you think <laughs> okay, is right. all right. I don't want to like intimidate you into an <laughs> My answer. My proper judgment says Kojima did not want this, but, but my Alex judgment says Kojima did want this, and I'm going to go with did. Kojima did want this. You got one right. Hey, the, baby. The, the I'm original. seven for seven. You can't stump me. I got them all right. This one was for all the marbles. You get all the marbles. Alex Good job. came in and he thought he could stump me, but I know everything about Kojima. I didn't get a single one of those wrong. Edit edit every time that I got the question <laughs> wrong out, Danny. This has got to be good, okay? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Thank you um, for listening. Anyways, that was episode two of the Emerald Games cast. Unless you had something else you wanted to say. No, no. I, well, no? I just I, I wanted to bring up that now this guy has free reign. Um, oh, he Konami, sure does. Konami let him go, and Sony has given him a blank check and told him, make whatever you want. Oh, I can't wait. Of, yeah, so I am very excited to see what's up this guy's sleeve. Um, I can't wait. I'll yeah, be there day for, one. Thank you for listening. I've been Alex. I've been Nolan, and this has been the Emerald Games cast. Next week, we'll have Andrea back. And once again, if you want us to answer any questions, maybe make us play dumb trivia games that I'll get wrong. Um, email us at ngood at dailyemerald.com and tune in next week for more video games. Yeah, and I also, like video games. Also, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at egamescast. That's egamescast at twitter.com. Yep. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for tuning in again. And transmission. Transmission.